Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. This is the first weekend of a brand new series called Life Inc. What a neat, what a neat sign, right? <laughs> um, you know, tattoos, body art, whatever you call it, is big again. And I've kind of watched it with a little bit of amusement for a lot of reasons because for one thing, um, it, this, the tattoos disappeared for a long time. You know, when I was a kid growing up in church, uh, there were a lot of guys in my church who had tattoos, and you know, on their forearms there would be like a heart with an arrow through it, or a Mickey Mouse, or, um, oh, I don't know, an anchor, maybe some military emblem, because a lot of the guys had come back from World War II or Korea, and, they, and when I would, you know, I was a kid, I'd walk up to them and I'd ask them, I'd say, how'd you get that on you? And they'd say, well, I was going off to the service, and so I thought I'd get this put on me, and I thought that was really cool. So I remember going to my mother and announcing to her that I was ready for a tattoo. I wanted one. I had picked out what I wanted to have inked on me, and my mother explained to me that I would not be getting a tattoo for several reasons. She said, uh, first off, um, nobody will put a tattoo on a five-year-old. And she said, if anybody did, death would soon follow. So she explained to me that I wouldn't be getting one for that reason. You know, I have a hunch that that same conversation has gone on even in this room with some kids older than five, maybe so. But she did explain to me that the issue with the tattoo is once you were inked, it was there for life. And so she said, I'm not going to let you have something on you. And so that was one thing that I thought about. And then, of course, I I get phone calls every once in a while or or emails from parents who are asking me, what's that verse in the Bible about you telling your kids they can't have a tattoo? So, you know, it's just been sort of interesting for me at my age to watch this evolution or this, this change of how tattoos were in, and they're out, and they're back in again, and, and the issues that were there when I was a kid are still back today. And, and you know, I watch, I watch people who get tattoos. You know, there are people who have sleeve tattoos, they have, you know, there's tattoos that cover their whole arms. And it's just interesting to me to watch what people put on, you know, because some of them are, you know, sort of meant to be attractive and, and they're meant to be beauty art, you know, with butterflies and stuff, with color and things. And there are people that just have these most hideous, gruesome images tattooed on them. And I always wonder, you know, what is the person's mind when they go to a tattoo parlor or whatever? What are they thinking about when they think, you know what, I think I'm going to have this put on me. And I have a hunch that some of them weren't thinking real clearly because they didn't know it was there until they sobered up or came off of it or whatever. But I you know, I just, I wonder what is in a person's mind when they pick the images that they're going to put on themselves and, and, and put on their bodies. Well, this series is not about tattoos on the outside, because that's a whole other issue. And on this being Mother's Day, I would probably encourage you to listen to your mother <laughs> on that particular subject. But I'm a lot more concerned about something else. I'm concerned about the ink that's on your soul and your spirit. Because a lot of you guys who are 45, 50 years old, 30 years old, 25, 65, whatever age I want to pull out of the hat, a lot of you might never consider having an image put on your arm or your torso or leg or anywhere else for that matter. But you got stuff that's been tattooed on your spirit, your inner person. Life marks. (laughs) That's a fact. Life will mark you. And while you might not have any ink on your skin, you've got soul ink on you. And if you've lived as long as I have, your soul is covered with ink. What I'm curious about is I want to know what's on your soul. Is it it beauty art or is it that hideous, gruesome stuff 
that you wish was not there and you wish you could get rid of. That's what this whole series is about. Five messages. Today's called Beauty Mark. Next week is one of the most important messages I will ever bring in my career. I've been thinking about this for months. Actually, I've been thinking about it for years. But next week, I'm going to bring you a message called Scar Tissue. It's all about healing right from those ugly images that get put on, on us in life. And all of us have them. I mean, some of us have them just from, you know, people who've said discouraging things to us. I bet I'm talking to somebody here who's been through a season of horrible abuse where somebody put the most gruesome kind of art on your soul and spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about how to heal right in a message called scar tissue. Then, you know, people sometimes get hidden tattoos, things that nobody sees. That's the third message in the series. It's called hidden. Fourth message is called piercings. It's all about the marks that we put on Jesus. And uh, there's, a, there's a message that I'm just getting so ginned up to preach. It's called branded. It's for all of us who are followers of Jesus and it's going to be exciting, this series. We're going to talk about the ink that's on our soul. It's called Life Ink. And this morning, the message is called Beauty Mark. Because I want to talk to us, and I think it's fitting that we talk about this on Mother's Day. I want to talk to us about the beauty marks that people have put on us and the marks that we're putting on other people and our opportunity to help people have a more beautiful life. If you're successful today, if you're happy, it's all because at some point somebody marked you in a positive way. Somebody put some beauty ink on your soul and on your spirit. My message today is for two reasons. Number one, I want you to recognize that by the grace of God, there have been some people who have added beauty to your life. And I want you to stop for a moment on this Mother's Day. And again, I think this is the most fitting day I could bring this message. I want you to stop for a moment and I want you to be thankful for the beauty art that's been put on you. Second thing I want you to understand is you're marking people every day of your life. You may be six years old, you're marking somebody. You may be 50 years old, you're marking people. I don't know that there's ever probably going to be a more important message for parents than the one that I'm going to bring today because you are marking your children. Grandparents, you're marking your grandkids. And what I want to challenge you to do today is to understand that you're, you're putting marks on people, and I want you to put the most beautiful marks on people that you possibly can so that long after you're gone, you're still going to be beautifying somebody's life. Now, today, I want you to think about four things. I know that I could talk about more beauty ink than four things, but I just prayed and thought about this, and, and I came up with four things, four ways that we put beauty ink on people and people put beauty ink on us. Here's the first one, encouragement. Now, I like to talk about encouragement. You remember back in a previous series last summer, I talked to you about creating zones of radical encouragement. Encouragement infuses people with the courage to live life. It is it's awesome. I love encouragement. And I love being encouraged, and I like to give encouragement. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that you will ever do for somebody is to encourage them, to put joy and energy into them. Here's what the Bible says, and a lot of our encouragement, before I read this verse, a lot of our encouragement comes from the things that we say. The Bible says in eight, Proverbs 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And James tells us that, you know, our, our tongue is a hard thing to control, and many times, before we know it, we have thrown out discouragement at the people that we love the most. And we say, well, I was just talking. It didn't, it didn't make a whole lot of difference. It was just talking. And I came back later, and I said I was sorry. We need to remember what Proverbs says. Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of death and life. The things that we say either bring death to people or it brings life to people. 
In Ephesians 4, verse 29, the Bible says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, i got to think about that. I, I, every time I open my mouth, I'm either putting on ugly art or beauty art on people around me. The Bible, the verse I just gave you in Ephesians 4, verse 29, one of the words in that verse when it talks about the way we should talk, it talks about adding to people. When we talk, people should feel like we have given them something instead of taking something away. There are people in my life, I know when I get together with them. When I go to lunch, I know when I leave that table, I'm going to feel like I have been given a gift. I know I tell you that all the time, but that's one of the reasons why I choose very carefully the people that I let into my inner circle. I try, and I hope you don't think badly of me, I try never to let a discourager in my inner circle. Never. Because life's too short, right? Life's too short, it's got too many headaches already. I'll tell you what, I can get all the discouragement I want out of life. I don't want to add any. So the people that I allow into my life, closely, I want people to encourage. I don't mean people that flatter. I don't mean people that don't tell the truth. I'm just saying, I want somebody in my life who infuses me with, with, with courage. And there are people I get together with, and I know before I get together with them, I'm going to feel like I've been given a gift just by listening to them. And there are a few people in my life that when I see coming, I know I'm going to feel like I've been robbed as soon as they walk away. That's what the Bible is talking about here. And what does encouragement do? I thought about two things that are very powerful in my life that encouragement has done. And, and, and I hope that you don't get angry at me because I'm going to tell a couple of stories from my life. And it's not because I think I'm important. It's just that I know my stories. And the reason why I'm going to tell these stories is I think when I tell mine, I think they're going to kick up some dust in your mind. They're going to help you remember some people who've done very similar things for you. Here's the first thing that encouragement does. Encouragement puts us on the right road. When we start off life, oftentimes we don't know where we're strong. We don't know what we're good at. We don't know what we're going to be effective at. How many of you, and don't, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you are very good at something you do today? When you were a kid, you didn't have a clue you are going to be doing anything like that. You know, you said, well, when I grew up, I want to be an astronaut. But you're at the top of your game in your corporation. You never thought about business. You didn't know you were good at it. Others of you found out that you're good at something you never had a dream you'd be good at. Here's what I want to say to you. At some strategic point in your life, some encourager came along and told you you were good at it and put you on the right track. That's what encouragement does. And today, again, one more time, just one more little commercial here. Isn't it appropriate that we're doing this on Mother's Day? Because how many times did mom come along and say, hey, you know what? I think you could do that. I think you could try out for that. I think you, I think you might be good at that. My, my story, my life-transforming story of encouragement happened when I was coming out of the seventh grade into the eighth grade. I was in middle school in Texas. And you may watch me on stage or if you see me on television or something, and you, you may say, hey, man, Mark just loves walking out on stage and being in front of a crowd of people and talking. Oh, contraire. You have to know, when I was a kid growing up, this is the last thing that I ever thought I would do. They say that the number one fear in life is the fear of death, and number two fear is fear of giving a public speech. And for me, I was a lot more afraid of public speaking than I was death. I've been to church. I knew Jesus died for me. I knew when you died, you went to heaven. It was speaking that creeped me out, I can tell you. When I was six years old, my dad talked me into singing a song in church. And this is a fact. I know this. You have, you have no idea how shy I was when I was growing up. My dad talked me into singing a song in church. It was a little church, and we had this upright piano. And as God is my witness, the only way he could talk me into singing that song was I turned around and leaned against that piano, facing the piano with my back to the congregation. That's how I sang my first special song. 
When I was in seventh grade, I remember I went down to what would be the equivalent of a fast food place today, and I was going to order a hamburger, and I was so shy that when the server came out, I just tried to stammer out that I wanted a hamburger, and I was so embarrassed because I thought, I can't even tell the lady what I want to eat. That's how bad it was. Went home that night, and I looked at what was, you know, we, we were getting the plans for the next year. Eighth grade, they'd sent them home from school with us, and I saw that for the first time, I was going to be granted the opportunity to select an elective. So I looked at the elective list that was there for me to, to pick from going into the eighth grade, and I saw that one of the electives was speech. And I thought, you know what? If a kid can't order a hamburger at a fast food place, it's time for him to learn something about talking. <laughs> and you have no idea how ginned up I had to get to get to the place where I would sign up for that class, but I did. So I'll walk in, and I, I have to tell you, God has been so good to me. When I grew up in Texas, um, my, my schools, the neighborhood where I was, was pretty close to a large Baptist seminary called Southwestern Seminary. It was the largest Southern Baptist seminary. So a lot, of my, a lot of my time in my 12 years of public school, I was taught by grad students' wives at Southwestern Seminary. I got the most awesome education. And it turned out that my teacher in, in, in speech, her husband was a, a doctoral student at Southwestern, and her name was Mrs. Williams. And she was very, she was kind of terse. She was um, no flattery, no bull. I mean, she was just straight up, but very, very strong teacher. One of those teachers that just like gives the teaching profession its top name. And so we walked into class the first day. She said, here's the deal. She said, everybody is going to give a speech starting tomorrow. I want you to write your life story, and you're going to stand up and read your life story. Well, I mean, how do you write your life story when you're 13 years old or 12 years old or however old I was. But I did. I went home, wrote it, rewrote it. I mean, I had the you know, notebook paper, and I wadded it up, and then I straightened it out, and then I wadded it up again. I went to, went to class the first day. She, you know, there were kids that stood up. My name didn't get called. I went the second day. My name didn't get called. I did the math, and I realized on the third day I didn't have a chance. I was going to come up. I couldn't sleep the night before. I was hyperventilating. You know, and I, I never forget when Ms. Williams called my name, Mark Hoover, and I stood up and I thought, this is going to be wretched. I mean, a kid that can't even order a hamburger standing up in class. And I stood up and I read my story. I don't know how I got through it, but when I stopped, I looked up and she was looking straight at me, just staring at me. And then she paused for about what seemed like five hours. But she paused and looked at me and she said, Mark, you're good. I'd never heard that before. I mean, I thought, I thought I was a terrible speaker, but she said, Mark, you're good. Now, that kicked something off in me because I thought, if she thinks I'm good and she's smart, maybe I am good. I'm not, but I thought, maybe I am if she thinks I am. From that point on, I got every, involved in everything in eighth grade speech. I had the lead in the drama. I did all kinds of stuff. By the time I was a freshman in high school, I was one of the top-ranked speakers in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. By my junior year, I was one of the top-ranked speakers in the state of Texas. i got to tell you this. If it hadn't been for that word from her, I'm not sure I'd be doing this today. I tried to look her up. You know her name is kind of common, and, and I tried to find her, and I couldn't. And I don't, know, I don't know if she's in heaven. I don't know where she is. I just know this. I know that at some point in my life, at a strategic moment, there was a teacher who came along and said, this is the path. Get in the path. That's what encouragement does. 
It's not flattery. I'm not trying to tell you today to start going around handing out schmaltzy flattery. I'm saying, in fact, if she had been a flatterer, it wouldn't have been anything to me. I would have just let it go right over my head. But it was the fact that she was a truth teller, an honest person, that she gave me that strategic moment of encouragement. And I'm encouraging all of you to do the same thing today with your kids. Encouragement puts them on the right track. Encouragement says, you know what? You're good at this. Try this. You're, you know, I know you're maybe scared, but try this. This is good. If you're a manager, if people work for you, encourage them. I know people who feel like the only way to be successful in life is to discourage and put other people down. If anybody's like that here today, and I don't think you would be, but if there's anybody like that and you deal in discouragement, you say, well, Mark, I just have to put everybody in their place. Let me tell you what you did. What you did is you just opened up your shirt and showed all the hideous art of insecurity because encouragement is a beautiful thing that puts people on the right track. Here's the second thing. I thought about Mrs. Williams and what she did for me. Encouragement not only helps you get on the right track, encouragement sees through better eyes. You see, when I looked at myself giving that speech that day in the eighth grade, the first week of eighth grade, I thought I was the worst speaker in the world. But Mrs. Williams came along and saw me through better eyes. We tend to see ourselves through the eyes of our own insecurities, don't we? We tend to see ourselves through the eyes of the discouragement that we've received in the past. How many husbands here today, you've told your wife, at some point you said, you know what, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful. And she'll say, I am not. You say, yeah, man, you're just the most beautiful person in the world, you're gorgeous. No, I'm not. And you say, well, what what makes you think that? Well, I can see the mirror. You know why she feels that way? She's looking at herself through the eyes of her own insecurity. She's looking through the eyes of negative things, of hurtful things that people have said through the years. I think the thing that I love most about encouragement, encouragement says, look through my eyes for a while. Let me show you what you look like to me. Maybe you can't see the best in yourself, but I can see the best in you. Let me show you what I see you to be. Somebody could say, well, Mark, that's just psychobabble. Really? Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself And God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us, listen to this, eternal encouragement. Could I read that one more time? Because there could be somebody who said, well, I just don't believe in this encouragement stuff. I I just think that's flattery. I don't think think it's really important. Friend, you need to get a Bible. The Bible says, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The greatest encouragement I've ever gotten in my life and the greatest encouragement you'll ever get in your life is from the God who made you. Because I'll tell you what, when I look at myself, I don't like what I see very much. But I'm so thankful that when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me through the prism of my insecurities and failures. God looks at me through the eyes of grace. Isn't that the history of this book that you have with you today? David saw himself as the eighth son of a poor man who lived in Bethlehem, a shepherd. That's all he'd ever be. But God saw him through different eyes, didn't he? Like the song says, when others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. I mean, Peter saw himself as a blue-collar worker on the wrong side of the tracks, sitting on the dock of the bay. But God saw him as a great preacher. The ultimate encouragement of seeing through better eyes comes from God because the way God sees you today, God sees you through the eyes of his love. It's not a flattery but it's encouragement. Number two. Number one is encouragement. Number two. 
This is probably one of the most challenging points that I've ever brought to a congregation because for some reason in our Western culture, and I don't mean Western United States, I mean Western Hemisphere, in our Western culture, we don't talk about this. But in the Bible, they talked about it all the time. And they still do in Eastern cultures to some degree. So have I set you up yet? It's blessing. Blessing. In the Bible, the Bible talks about three kinds of blessing. Number one, there's the blessing that God blesses us with. God blesses us with favor. There's all kinds of words in this Bible about God blessing people, God adding favor to people. But then there are some places where the Bible talks about people blessing God, in which we bestow grace and love and, 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 and joy to God and saying to God, we love you and we want your honor and we want your, we want your name to be great in the world. But there's a third kind of blessing that happens throughout the Bible in which people bless people. So I feel it's important this morning that we draw a distinction between encouragement and blessing. You know, in the Bible, people bless their kids. What is blessing? Blessing, as I understand it, is the desire, the spoken desire for God's favor to be on people. Now, I know that the moment I say this that there are, there are going to be some who, who say, well, well, Mark, is that like saying if I bless you, I can prophesy that something's going to happen in your life? I don't think that, not necessarily. That might happen on occasion, but pretty rarely. I'm not saying that you can just name it and say, hey, I, I prophesy that my kids are going to be doctors and lawyers and you know, drive Lincolns and, and Mercedes and live in big homes. I'm not talking about that at all. I think it is just the spoken desire to see God bless people. And I think it's, it's really important for us to speak that kind of thing to our kids. Our kids should know and our friends should know, and our parents should know that we desire God's best to be in their lives. Hey, I think it's being spiritually attuned to what's going on with people. So often, and I think the reason, forgive me for breaking the sense, but I think the reason why we don't think about blessing much in our Western culture is that we're so affluent. We sort of get the idea, well, you know, if I go to church and if I read my Bible and, and the rest of us just going to work and making money and buying all the stuff I need. Friends, let me just tell you something today. There are things you need in this world that money will not buy. There are blessings in this world that are far greater than anything money can purchase. I mean, think about something for a moment. I mean, there are people that have all the money and fame in the world who are not happy. I wouldn't trade, you know, with Tom Cruise for the world. I bet a lot of you ladies wouldn't pray, trade with Paris Hilton for the world. I mean, for one thing, she's about to go away for a while. I mean, does money do it? I mean, it, it doesn't. Money doesn't make you happy. And I'm not picking on those people. I'm just saying there, there's stuff in this world that money cannot buy, stuff that I want for my kids. I want my kids to know God. I want my kids to know the joy and peace of God. I want my kids to be blessed by God because God's blessings are worth so much more than money. And I thought I want to do a better job of doing what the guys and moms in the Bible did, of blessing my kids, of being attuned to what God wants to do in their lives. I thought about a story about my grandmother. I talk about her a lot, and I know that you've heard me talk about her, what a great lady she was. I remember when Morales and I were dating. In fact, we haven't been dating very long, and, and I didn't know that my grandmother told Morales this. I'd have been a little freaked out if I'd known it, but my grandmother went to Mary Alice and said, you're the one for Mark because you'll pray for him. Just a spoken word. And what that was, my grandmother was just in tune with God and what God wanted to do in our lives. And it was like she went to Mary Alice and said, hey, I just want to put a blessing on you. 
And that doesn't mean that my grandmother could predict that. It doesn't mean that she knew the future. It doesn't mean that she had the gift of prophecy. It was just that she understood that God wanted to work in the lives of her kids and grandkids, and she wanted us to know she was praying for us and blessing us in the process. Here's number three. Number three is modeling. The reason I put this one on the list is I just got through speaking to several universities locally here. And I, I talked to a lot of college students, and I was talking about family issues. And one of the things that I heard just universally in every class that I've spoken to is young people today are telling me that there has been an absence of modeling in their lives. When I talk to, when I talk to college students today, that's the one thing I hear over and over is, Mark, nobody has shown me how to live. That breaks my heart. Because I think that one of the greatest, you talk about putting beauty art on somebody, so the most beautiful art you will ever put on other people is modeling a life that follows Jesus. Now, modeling is difficult, but it's so important. Let me tell you why modeling is important. Modeling speaks more loudly than words. You've heard the old statement that says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one anytime. That's what I'm talking about. I remember reading some years ago about a teenage boy who got drunk and was in a car accident and he was killed and every, all the kids who were with him were killed. And his father was so angry that he vowed to kill the person who gave his son the alcohol. I mean, he was dead serious. If he could find somebody who gave his kid the, the booze, he was going to kill that person. Until he found a note in his liquor cabinet and said, Dad, took a few bottles. I didn't think you would mind. How many times do parents tell kids, well, hey, now listen, this is what you should do. But then they model something completely different. Here's the deal. Modeling is always the final answer. You say, well, well I, told, I told them that this is what they should do. I told them they shouldn't do this. But modeling is the final word. I mean, here's the deal. If I tell my kids, hey, you shouldn't lose your temper. You should keep control at all times. But then something goes wrong and I blow up, then I just gave my kids the final word on anger. If I tell my kids to trust God, that God is going to take care of us, but when things happen in my life that scare me, I go to pieces and I lose it, I just gave my kids the final answer. Trust me, however you and I live our lives, that's the final word. That's louder than anything else that we say. Now, I don't say this to put you on a guilt trip today. I just say this so that we'll understand how important it is. Modeling is hard, isn't it? Consistent modeling is nearly impossible. If you had somebody who modeled a godly life before you, you need to be so thankful for that person. That person has given you an awesome gift. I'm so thankful for my parents today. One of the things that I love so much about my father was my father lived the Christian life. You know, he preached it from the church that I attended, but he lived it. And the older I get the more difficult I see that is. Modeling is so important. If you've been blessed by someone who modeled the Christian life, you need to thank that person today. And for those of us who are watching us, we need to remember the importance of it. I've got to finish with this. Number four, I'm talking about what beautifies our lives. Acts of grace. Acts of grace. I don't know how to preach this. I really don't. But I know this. I'm like Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God, you know, God has worked in my life. And 
But if you like anything you see in me, chances are it's because at some point, strategic points in my life, somebody brought an act of grace. What is grace? Grace means getting something we don't deserve. That's why acts of grace are so big in our lives, we don't expect them. You know, we sort of have this quid pro quo view of life growing up. If I'm nice, people be nice to me. If I'm mean, people be mean to me. If I'm generous, people be generous to me. And essentially, there's some truth to that. But every once in a while, grace comes. Well, we're mean, and somebody's good to us. When we hurt people, and they forgive us. When we take from someone, and that person gives to us. When we never think about somebody else, and they think about us. When I look at my life, those have been the things that have really beautified my life. When somebody came and bestowed an act of grace. For many of us here today, I'm back, to th- back 360 degrees. It's Mother's Day. You know? For others of us, it's a wife. We've been total jerks. And she should have kicked us out a long time ago. But she loved us instead. An act of grace. Or it's a husband who's long-suffering, and he should have said enough a long time ago, but he didn't. He stayed. Or parents. Parents who could have pulled their hair out and said, why did we ever think about having kids? But they didn't. They, They listened. And they kept paying the bills. Acts of grace. Well, you know where I'm headed now, don't you? The greatest act of grace that ever happened in our lives was when Jesus Christ lay down on a Roman cross and let people drive nails in his hands and feet and wore a crown of thorns so that you and I might have everlasting life. We sinned. He gave us grace. Unexpected. Unexpected. I want to read kind of a long text here so that you and I will understand. Because some people have the idea, well, I don't know how God feels about me. Maybe he likes me. Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe it's yes one day. Maybe it's no. Listen to what the Bible says. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you, was not yes and no. Maybe I like you. Maybe I don't like you. Maybe I'll let you in. Maybe I won't let you in. The Bible says Jesus was not yes and no. But in him, it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, and verse 22 is what this is all about, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I've been talking about marking. I said we mark people with encouragement. We mark people with blessing. We mark people with modeling. We mark people with acts of grace. The Bible tells us that God comes along and he marks us. I have a marking today that you can't see. It's invisible, but it's there. As an eight-year-old boy, I came to Jesus Christ and asked him to save me, and God marked me with the most beautiful piece of art that could ever be. The Bible says he sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Have you followed Jesus yet? Have you invited Jesus to be your Savior? You say, well, Mark, I have. I hope God doesn't kick me out. Do you realize what happened when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? The Bible says you were marked with God, and God put within you the deposit 
of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. God is one God but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you accepted Christ, it was like you sat down at the table and God said, I've got a deal that I'm going to make with you. It's all, I'm the one. The deal, deal depends totally on God and nothing that we bring. God says, however, I am going to put down a deposit and uh, guaranteeing that you're going to go to heaven when you die and that you're going to live forever. And God is saying, just to make sure that you understand that I'm never going to go back on my word, I'm putting down a deposit. Well, what happens if you put down a deposit to buy a home and you decide to change your mind? You lose your deposit, don't you? You want to buy a car, and the car dealer says, hey, tell you what, I'll let you, I'll, you know, I'll, I want you to put down a deposit, and you put it down. You decide you want to, you, instead of buying a Toyota, you want a Honda or a Chevy or Ford or whatever, you change your mind, and you say, I'm walking out. They'll say, okay, but it's going to cost you the deposit. Do you realize what would have to happen for God to reject you from his family? If you accept Jesus and God puts his beauty art on you and gives a, puts the Holy Spirit down as a deposit, do you realize that God the Father and Jesus would have to say, well, I guess we're going to lose the Holy Spirit on this one. <laughs> Third of the Trinity. No, that's insane. God, if you ever come to him by faith, he will mark you forever and you will never lose that relationship. God wants you to know it's settled, it's secure, and it's all right. It's up to you to make that decision to receive him. Let's pray. Every head bowed and every, every person praying here today. I've talked to you about beauty markings today, but I want to go right to the end of the message where I shared with you that if you haven't received Jesus, you have that opportunity to do that today. Here's what the Bible says. Eternal life, heaven, relationship with God, those things are gifts that you receive when you accept Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says that Jesus died for you on the cross, for you personally. And then he rose from the grave three days later, and the important thing about that is he's alive and he's waiting to hear from you. And if you want him into your life, all you have to do is to invite him in to become your Savior and your Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is no more complicated than that. In Acts 16, Paul was witnessing to a, a guy who'd done some really bad things. Because somebody could say, well, Mark, I've been so bad. Man, Paul was witnessing to one of the worst guys. And yet he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, you can pray with me. I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can, you can pray it from your heart or you can pray your own prayer. What God is looking for you is a yes. He's looking, that, he's looking to you for that. Would you pray, please? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me and forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray with me today, I want you to take the first step of confessing Jesus. And your, your worship guide that you have today has got a perforation. And if you would just... Check the box and let me know that you prayed to receive Jesus. You can drop it at the boxes by the back doors or at the bottom of the staircases. And uh, there's also other things that you can let me know, you know, if you have need for information or, or something that's going on in your life, a prayer need, you can put that on there as well. And then we'll receive these and anything we can do to help, we will. If you did pray to receive Jesus and you'll let me know, I'll get you three booklets this weekend or this week. Easy to understand books that will help you know how to take your first steps in following Jesus.
I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward now to receive the weekend offering. And while they're coming, could I just say one more word about next, next weekend? The, um, the theme is scar tissue. I've met so many people through the years. Something happened when they were very young, very ugly, very bad. And it's like they healed over, but they didn't heal. And it goes into their relationships and their marriages, their relationship with their kids, scar tissue. And next weekend, I, I just know why I can tell you how important next weekend is going to be. So please be here and invite someone to be part of this very, very important message. Let's receive God's offerings now. There are envelopes in the pews, in the back, back of the pews in front of you. And if I don't... If, if the offering takes place too quickly, you can also drop your envelopes in the boxes in the back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you do in our lives. And I pray that you'll help us to mark people with beauty. Thank you for the people who've marked us. We especially thank you for moms today. In Jesus' name.